Welcome, Fisherville Baptist Church. What a gracious providence that we can gather on what we call Good Friday, the irony of that language uh, we should not lose. But to gather on Good Friday in times like these, and remember, we have a blessed hope, which is a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's pray and begin our service this evening. Father of mercy, we come to you in the Son and by the Spirit, and we confess on this Good Friday that we have a Savior who bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We confess by his wounds we have been healed, for we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And that's why we gather tonight, because we have returned. And we have returned because of his all-sufficient, effectual, atoning work for us and our salvation. Lord, tonight as we, we worship, we pray that your spirit would illuminate to us the beauty and the glory of your Son. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Church, Matthew writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 27. When morning came... All the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified.
heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, by His wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds by his wounds we are healed we're healed by yourself we are healed by your sacrifice by the life that you gave we are healed for you paid the price by your grace we are saved we are saved he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter 
and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercessor intercession for the transgressors. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. We are healed by your sacrifice, by the life that you gave. We are healed for you price by your grace we are saved we are saved he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon by his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds, by his wounds. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that white as snow no other fountain no nothing but the blood of jesus Soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a thorn of, of a crown of thorns they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him they mocked him saying hail the king of the Jews and they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. What language shall I
If you would look in your Bible at Matthew 27, the text Heather just read, we're just going to look at a couple of verses in this passage. Matthew 27, 45, 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, the crowd thought he was crying out Elijah. And then verse 50 says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this occasion we have to meditate upon the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that our meditations on this text this evening would be well-pleasing in your sight, glorifying to your Son, edifying to your people, and attractive and even convicting to those who've never trusted in the Son that they might trust Him tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the historical fiction movie, Apocalypto, we're given insights into the world of ancient Mayan system of human sacrifice. In the movie, there's a a peaceful tribe that is attacked by a tribe seeking human beings for sacrifice for their gods. Now, in her book, Maya Mysteries, Wendy Zoba seeks to help us better understand the bloodiness of the ancient Mayan system. Here's what she says. The Maya understand the need for blood. They have shown us there isn't enough human blood in all the world to satisfy the gods. Of course, we recognize these gods are false gods. They were polytheistic. They are polytheistic. They're telling us the power of the sacrifice cannot be found in the blood of human sacrificed by human hands. When the warfare increased towards the end of the dynasty and the Maya all over the lowlands fought their civil wars and took captives, did they send them to the fields to work? No. They cut off their heads and carried them on sticks. For what? What did all the blood avail the ancient Mayans? Well, the answer is nothing. The gods were never satisfied, even when the bloodshed increased. Now, although the Mayas were wrong about many things, including polytheism, trusting in in many different gods, they were right in this, that that deep down they recognized they could only come to their gods through the blood. The difference is that we can't provide it. That's the difference between their pagan religion and what we know is the true, the true faith, once for all delivered to the saints. 
We cannot provide what God demands. God has to provide it. Now, Matthew does not explain to us in propositional language his understanding of atonement. He doesn't, for example, as Paul tells us, say that Christ died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Or as Peter writes, that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the spirit. Or as John tells us in 1 John 2, 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins. Or as the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 10, that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Matthew doesn't do that. But what Matthew does share with us gives us greater understanding and a greater appreciation of what our Christ, our Savior, our Lord Jesus endured that we might have our sins forgiven and our eternity secured. And two of those things I want to look at tonight. We're going to see two things in these two verses we're looking at tonight that help us better understand what Jesus Christ was enduring that we might have the forgiveness of sins. The first thing we see is a supernatural sign. What I would say is a supernatural sign of judgment. If you would look with me in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about this darkness on the land from midday till three o'clock in the afternoon. But this was not an eclipse. This was Passover time. And during Passover time, there was a full moon. And with a full moon, an eclipse is not possible. This is what we might call the anti-Genesis 1-3. Remember when God created the heavens and the earth, His good creation? And in Genesis 1-3, He said, let there be light. But now, there is darkness. It's almost communicating a reversal of God's good creation. This is a supernatural darkness leading up to the time when the Son of God would breathe His last breath. But why darkness? Why is this so important to not only Matthew, but Mark and Luke as well? Well, let me offer you two texts to help us answer that question. The first text is from Exodus 10, verse 22. Now, in that context, we know that Moses is describing the ninth plague that would fall on Egypt before the great exodus and deliverance of God's people following the tenth plague. And in that ninth plague, here's what it says. Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all of the land of Egypt for three days. Three days. So there is darkness on the land for three days. It's a plague. Of course, we know that the tenth and the definitive plague that would end up leading to Israel's exodus from bondage was the death of the firstborn son or the death of a lamb. The death count was the same in every home that night. Either a firstborn son would die or a lamb would die in the place of the people. And so the precursor to the final act that would bring deliverance for God's people was darkness on the land before the firstborn son who also happens to be the Lamb of God breathes his last breath. And there's another important text, I think, here that helps us explain what's going on here with the three-hour darkness. 
It's in Amos 8 9. And Amos is speaking about the day of the Lord that we have spoken about in recent weeks. A day when God's name would be vindicated through the salvation of his people and the judgment on his enemies. And Amos says in Amos 8 9 that on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. So on that day, at 12 o'clock noon, God would make the sun go down and darken the earth. And in verse 10, he says, I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all signal that in that three-hour darkness, as the Son of God is dying on the cross, God's only Son, they are signaling that day is here. The day of the Lord. A day of mourning, but also a day of deliverance. A day of a great exodus by the substitute. And so the first thing we see in this passage that speaks to what Jesus' accomplishment is a supernatural sign of judgment. But what we also see here is a scriptural cry of judgment. Look with me in verse 46. And about the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus uttered a loud cry. And since these are the only words that Matthew and Mark record, Jesus is speaking from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words are clearly important to their narrative. Now, they're not contradicting what Luke and John are doing, but for their particular theological point, these words are vital. There are six other words, six other sayings that John and Luke will record. Matthew gives it to us in Aramaic. It's the only time we ever hear Jesus speaking in what would have sounded what he would have sounded like on a day-to-day basis because Jesus spoke Aramaic. But more importantly than that, why did Jesus cry out on the cross the first sentence of Psalm 22 verse 1? That's what he's quoting. He's meditating on Scripture, and he is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. Why not the last three verses of that psalm, which are victory verses, some have called them? For instance, verse 27, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Why didn't Jesus cry out those words? Or why didn't he... Quote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why Psalm 22, verse 1? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, Jesus, through the pen of the apostle, the disciple Matthew, is providing us insight into a biblical theology of the cross in one word, forsakenness. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. The the greatest religion in the world of that day was Judaism. And Judaism had forsaken Jesus. 
the leaders, the religious leaders of Judaism, that is. The greatest empire of that day was Rome. And Rome had forsaken Jesus. Even his own 12 disciples had forsaken Jesus. One had betrayed him. One had denied him three times. And the others had fled like scaredy cats when he was arrested. He's been forsaken by every human except some women. And now he is forsaken by his father. Now, now what does that mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. Not directly, that is. You know, the mystery of atonement is in many ways as mysterious as the mystery of the incarnation itself, the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, where the eternal Son of God, God of very God, took on human flesh. Well, the mystery of atonement is as mysterious as that reality. And here's the tension. Here's the difficulty. While this God-forsakenness was very real, it was utterly real, the unity of the blessed Trinity was even then unbroken. God cannot be degotted. The unity of the Trinity was even then unbroken, and yet... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, experienced not just a felt, but a real abandonment by His Father. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21, where the Apostle Paul writes, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, Jesus did not become a sinner on the cross. But our sin was imputed to Him. And Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God for our sin. Remember, all the way back in Matthew 21, that Mary was to conceive a child and His name was to be called Jesus, for he would come and he would save his people from their sins. That's what's happening in this forsakenness. This is Christ becoming a curse for us to redeem us from the curse of the law. This is penal substitution. A good working definition that I think is faithful to this account for penal substitution is this. God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us the death, the punishment, the curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty for sin. Penal substitution. This is Jesus Christ taking the wrath taking the judgment in our place as our substitute, being forsaken by the Father. Jesus, think about this, took the most ugly, wicked, defiled, evil, corrupt, rebellious, and hideous crimes in all of creation. Our addictions, our idolatries, our vain ambitions, our superficialities, our lies, our deceits, our greed, our self-righteousness. The list could, could go on and on and on. And he descended into the hell of God-forsakenness, the place of punishment for our sins. That's what's happening here on the cross of course, we know this supremely, not just because of what happened on Friday, but because of what would happen on Sunday. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. But for now, let us contemplate this evening on this Good Friday. And it is indeed ironic language to call it Good Friday. But for now, let us contemplate God's love for us in Jesus Christ, forsaken for us so that we will not be forsaken. And I think that is a timely thought given our global crisis, given the notion that perhaps we are forsaken, that perhaps we are in a hopeless place. Jesus Christ was forsaken that we might not be forsaken. And that is a word for every believer, for every person who's ever trusted in Jesus, who's repented of his or her sins and has thrown themselves on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ in repentant faith. But it's also a word for those who have not yet believed. The Bible tells us that if you die in your sins, what happened to Jesus on the cross in a very real sense is what will happen to you for all eternity. God forsakenness. But the Bible also tells us that if you will repent of your sins and trust in Christ, your sins will be forgiven. Your past sins, your present sins, and all your future sins. So that you can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for me, for I am in Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful day to be converted to Christ on this Good Friday where we contemplate the glory, the grace, the mercy, the benevolence, the love of our God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I at the cross the cross I saw the light my sins were taken away and there by faith receive my sight to see my Savior's face. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, had love. At the cross, the cross, I saw the light. My sins were taken away. And there by faith received my sight to see my Savior's face. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when christ the mighty maker died for men the creature's sin at the cross the cross i saw the light my sins were taken away and there by faith received my sight to see my Savior's face. But drops 
of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, the cross, I saw the light. My sins were taken away, and there by faith received my sight to see my Savior's face. At the cross, the cross, I saw the light. My sins were taken away, and there. By faith received my sight to see my Savior's face. Church is good and it's right for us to gather even this way across the internet um, on such a day as this to commemorate and remember and even perhaps lament afresh for what the Savior had to go through in order to redeem sinners for himself. And yet, in taking on flesh and drinking to the dregs the death and the suffering that was required to bring us to himself, he stands amidst us and says, I am not ashamed to call them, to call us his brethren. And so, Lord, um, we want to say thank you to you tonight. Church, we want to say thank you and be ever grateful for what he's done for us. And so now, between here and Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection, which we do every week, but in a special way on Easter Sunday, Church, let me challenge you to take and to make time to sit before the Lord with his word in front of you, And pour out your heart by the Spirit through Christ who intercedes for us to a loving and gracious Father who planned all of this from eternity. And celebrate the fact that as New Covenant believers we have so much to rejoice in. And yet the Son suffered deeply for us, fully tasting death, not merely sampling it, but going down to the grave. Let us not fear, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let us end with a word of prayer. Let's end as we began with a word of prayer on our lips and go from here uh, tonight. We'll see you back on Sunday. So Father, we do come to you by your Spirit and through your Son. And it is awe-inspiring to us to sit and think, perhaps afresh, and to remember afresh the lengths that you went to redeem for yourself a people for your own possession. There's nothing we could ever do to earn and generate this kind of love, and yet As your sons and daughters, we look to you on this Good Friday, and we lament our own sin. We lament the sin of humanity. We lament, and it is right to do so. And yet, our lamentation is not without hope. So on Friday, we acknowledge, Lord, on Friday we repent. And yet on Friday, we look forward with great anticipation to Sunday. And so between now and then, may our hearts be ever turned towards you with a a sobriety fitting for the season. Let us prepare our hearts for that great day, Sunday, Easter, where we celebrate the resurrected Christ who reigns in glory at the right hand of the Father, even now, waiting for that time when all of his enemies are placed under his feet. You are our Lord, our Savior. You are our Master. And we want to honor and glorify you as such.
Thank you that we get to glorify you as sons and daughters who have been redeemed and not as those who are still in Adam, who stay in Adam and will glorify your justice for all eternity. Thank you for bearing the weight of our sins, Lord Jesus. What else can we do than to say thank you and to live lives that give evidence, lives of worship, where daily our lives commemorate the resurrected Savior as we happily and joyfully walk in obedience to you. May we be a people who are always repenting and turning from our sins as we're convicted afresh. And yet we thank you for the, even the gift of repentance and faith. Lord, if there are those watching who've seen this service tonight and heard your word preached and read and sung, we pray, who are outside of Christ, we pray that this season, how fitting, this season that you would draw sinners into yourself. That is our prayer, and that you would sanctify and encourage the saints. And so, Lord, until Sunday, may we be ever watchful, ever mindful, especially on this weekend as we look towards Sunday when we get to gather back here together to sing and to celebrate the resurrected Christ when we will shout that he is risen, he is risen indeed. And Father, we come to you through faith and by your spirit through the Son who is ever interceding for us, even now, to you, our loving and gracious and all-sovereign Heavenly Father. Amen. You are dismissed.